and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. More than once, Paul used athletic training and its reward, winning the race, as a metaphor for the Christian life. Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Colossians, The Supremacy of Christ, with this sermon entitled, Him We Proclaim, The Hope of Glory which covers Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 5. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's prepare our hearts for the reading of God's Word. Irene Betancourt is going to come, and she's going to read from Colossians chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Good morning, Perimeter Church. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians 1, 2, 2. Ahora me gozo en lo que padezco por vosotros y cumplo en mi carne lo que falta de las aflicciones de Cristo por su cuerpo que es la iglesia. De ella fui hecho ministro según la administración de Dios que me fue dada para con vosotros, para que anuncie cumplidamente la palabra de Dios. El misterio que había estado oculto desde los siglos y edades, pero que ahora ha sido manifestado a sus santos. A ellos, Dios quiso dar a conocer las riquezas de gloria de este misterio entre los gentiles, que es Cristo en vosotros, esperanza de gloria. Nosotros anunciamos a Cristo, amonestando a todo hombre y enseñando a todo hombre en toda sabiduría a fin de presentar perfecto en Cristo Jesús a todo hombre. Para esto también trabajo, luchando según la fuerza de Él, la cual actúa poderosamente en mí. Quiero pues que sepáis cuán grande lucha sostengo por vosotros, por los que están en la odisea y por todos los que nunca han visto mi rostro. Lucho para que sean consolados sus corazones y para que, unidos en amor, alcancen todas las riquezas de pleno entendimiento, a fin de conocer el misterio de Dios el Padre y de Cristo, en quien están escondidos todos los tesoros de la sabiduría y del conocimiento. Esto lo digo para que nadie os engañe en cuerpo, no obstante, en espíritu estoy con vosotros, gozándome y mirando vuestro buen orden y la firmeza de vuestra fe en Cristo. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you in plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Irene. I love, I love hearing the word of God read in different languages. Reminds us that he is the God of the nations, the God over every single one of us. And so let's ask him together aloud now, praying that he would bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Let's pray together. O God, who gives generously to those who ask, give us understanding today that we may keep your word. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Confirm to us your promise in Christ that we may love and worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen and amen. I think every if not every, most every father of young children is gonna identify with what I'm about to say. Imagine with me, it's 98 degrees. The sand itself is, feels as though it's hotter than lava. You've just parked your car, you've only walked from the driver's side door to the trunk and you're already sweating through your shirt. You open the trunk or the back hatch of your car and it's filled with every beach item you can imagine. You turn and you look to see how far the walk is from where you are to where you're gonna have your glorious day on the beach with your family, and you begin to assess. Okay, I think it's about 200 yards. I don't know, maybe 500. Uh, it could be longer. And as you assess that, you, you wince and dread because you're the pack mule. Coolers, tents, chairs, goggles, suntan lotion, all the stuff is gonna be on your shoulders and you're going to take this trek and you're gonna dread it, but you're gonna do it. And you might even do it, if you're walking in the Spirit, you might even do it with just a tinge of joy at some point. And then you're going to get to the beach, and you're going to lay everything out. You're going to just drink four bottles of water immediately, and then you're going to think, I get to at least sit on the beach, which you will not do. Because your kids are going to constantly be saying, do this, do this, do this, come here, come here. And you will not rest on the beach. Do not be misled. But you'll do it. Why? Well, because your children are of great value to you. And their delight is your joy. It may not feel like it in the moment, but it is. We don't like words like, Affliction, suffering, toil, struggle, hardship. We don't like those words. We don't like what those words bring. It's not just that we don't like the words. We don't like their reality. But in many instances in life, we will embrace those realities if the value that they lead to is greater than the pain that we feel in the moment. If the, if the lasting joy that that toil and that struggle brings is greater than the temporary pain that it brings, then we'll embrace it. We'll say, okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll stick with this. I'll endure this because of what I know 
will come. For those who know Jesus, we know him to be the treasure of the universe. We know that he is, as this passage puts it, the hope of glory. And as it says in this passage, in him are hidden, I love this language, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you know Jesus, you know that's who he is. And and we know this, we know that for a people made by a glorious God to share in his glory, we have found Jesus to be that very hope of glory. And so we will suffer for him. We will embrace affliction and hardship and toil and struggle for him. Why? Well, because he's of infinite value. And because his delight in us is our eternal joy. We begin to understand that what I would do for my children is not all that unlike the ways in which the infinite value of Jesus compels us to endure things such that we know that the end result is endless delight and joy and the hope of glory himself. Even if that experience of glory is minimal on this side of heaven. And that can be difficult, that can be hard. We're in a passage this morning that I hope we get through because there's so much packed into it. We also are gonna go into communion this morning. I told Caleb right before I came up here, I said, look, uh, just a heads up, I have four points this morning. I hope I get through all four, but we may bump one to next week because there's just so much in this passage and and so much truth for us to mine. And so I'm gonna give you four truths for, for the believer, for the follower of Christ in this passage from Colossians 1 as we bleed into chapter 2. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you're a Christian, you're, you're even investigating. We know that we have many who are coming to be a part of the investigative forum that happens in the 1045 hour. And I would encourage you, if you have not gone to that yet, even if you've missed the first couple of weeks, go. Go to the 1045 hour. Randy, our founding pastor, is walking through some really critical things, asking some very important and difficult questions about how can we know some of these things? How can we believe some of the things that we do? And so you may be here this morning and you go, okay, well, if you're saying there, here are four truths for Christians to embrace in this text, well, that's not for me. But I want you to listen in a way that would be, well, if it were me, what would this mean? I wanna invite you into this text as one who is exploring and see if you might very well find Jesus to be the hope of glory, the treasure that he is. So here's the first truth for us as followers of Christ. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. I'll go ahead and give you the two ways in which Paul says this plays out and how we rejoice in our sufferings. First, for the sake of the church. We rejoice in our sufferings for the sake of the church. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And secondly, to make the word of God fully known. Paul says this right here in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. That sounds just so, or not just sounds, it is so very counterintuitive, is it not? Who rejoices in sufferings? 
And the nature of the kingdom of God, the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, this is part of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom, is that we actually rejoice in our sufferings because of what we know to be true that those sufferings are accomplishing. But he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. We rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoicing in suffering, listen, don't miss this. Rejoicing in suffering is one of the hallmark features of someone who is tethered to Jesus. It's part of what we exude to a world that suffers. And we're not exempt from that suffering. In fact, Jesus made a lot of promises that we'll look at in a moment that we will suffer perhaps even more than those who don't know Jesus. But the difference is this, it's not that Christians suffer less than those who are, in, who are not in Christ, it, but the distinguishing factor, the distinguishing mark of someone who has found their hope and their treasure and their value to be in the infinite worth of Jesus is that we actually rejoice in those sufferings because we know that God is at work in them and that, that they are achieving for us a delight and a joy in the life to come that is beyond comparison. We rejoice in those. You, closeness to Christ, intimacy with Jesus is the only way you could write something like this. And not just write it, but live it out and experience it to be true. Paul says something here, though, that's confusing. What about this phrase? He says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. You could read that and you could go, wow, so is the suffering that Christ endured for us on the cross, is it not sufficient? Is it in some way ineffective? Are we therefore now part of the following of Jesus is to make up for what Christ couldn't fully accomplish? And that would be the complete uh, errant wrong way to interpret this passage. Paul is not saying that. What he's saying is this, and he says this often in his writings. What he's saying is this, is that there is a sharing in the sufferings of Christ that come with being united to Christ. Let me read to you, I, I, this is a great, just listen to this. I think this is a great explanation from a, a Bible commentator who said this. He said, we should bear in mind that although Christ, by means of the afflictions which he endured, rendered complete satisfaction to God, complete satisfaction. His, his sacrifice for us was not lacking in any way. His blood spilled for us fully cleanses us and redeems us. So that's not what's being said here. Paul is able to glory in nothing but the cross, as he says in Galatians 6.14. But, but the enemies of Christ were not satisfied. They hated Jesus with insatiable hatred and wanted to add to his afflictions. But since he was no longer physically present on earth, their arrows, which are meant especially for him, now strike his followers. It is in that sense that all true believers are in his stead supplying what, as the enemy sees it, is lacking in the afflictions that Jesus endured. Simply put, Christ's afflictions overflow to us, those who follow him. Jesus 
told us this much. Numerous times, Matthew, 10, uh, Matthew 5, 10 through 12, he said this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You see where Jesus is pointing us is the same place that Paul is going to point us in this passage is that we rejoice, one, because we're being treated like Christ was treated. And so there's, there's actually a sense of joy in that, in that we share in his sufferings because we are now united to him. But our, our focus, our, our gaze is not on the immediate pain of the moment, but on the long, the long view of what will come. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Mark 13, 13, Jesus said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. John 15, he says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. You know, there's, there's a great effort that's important. It's a, it's a good work to be done. There's a great effort often among the church um, to engage the world around us in such a way to where they would like us. To where they would say, uh, man, those Christians, aren't they just awesome? And, and there's something to be said for that. Of course we want to be winsome. Of course we don't want to be jerks with the truth. We want to move towards people with love and compassion and care. That's a huge part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. But we also have to understand that if you're like me, which is I am a, I have said this many times over and by God's grace, I think there's progress being made over the years. I am a recovering people, people approval addict. I want people to like me, but I have to embrace at a certain level that if I'm walking with Jesus intimately, if he is filling me up and living through me, then there will be people who hate Jesus who therefore hate me. There will be people who because of the, uh, the name of Christ upon me, but even more hopefully than that, because of the, uh, the spirit of the living God living through me, there will be persecution. Now, again, in this country, what does that look like? Well, there's a lot of things that we're beginning to experience that we haven't in this nation before as it pertains to Christian liberties, but at the same time, there's nothing new under the sun, and there's things that we get to experience here in this country that many in most countries don't. We, we still have incredible freedoms in this country where persecution doesn't come because of the name of Jesus. But we do think about our brothers and sisters in places like India, as we prayed for just a moment ago, all throughout the world where not just lack of reputation, not just, hey, I don't like you, not just, hey, I, I think you're crazy. 
is the persecution, but literally their lives are, are at stake. I got a text earlier this week from one of our church members who is a big part of our ministries and the partnerships that we have in India. And he, he sent me a lot of pictures of the persecution that's happening in India right now. And it was raw and it was hard to look at. They're not just being chased out of home and losing all of their physical and material belongings, they're being killed. They're losing their lives. Sent me a picture of this one family who just lost their, their dad and husband simply because he attended church. Persecution is real. Jesus said it would be this way. But rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. One of the greatest things that we can do as believers is have an eternal mindset. So very hard, so very difficult, because the tyranny of, of the urgent, the, the reality of the here and now, is all that we can tangibly feel and see and touch. And, and so we just think it's all about now. But it's not. Paul gives us two reasons. He says there's two reasons why we rejoice in our sufferings. I gave them to you already, but I'll say them again. First, for the sake of the church. For the sake of the building of the church. The church, the church is built on the backs of those who suffer for the sake of the kingdom to flourish and to expand and to grow throughout the world. The age-old statement that if you Google it, it's going to be attributed to 10 different people. Who said it originally? We don't know. But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, this doesn't mean that we have some type of grotesque longing for persecution. No, 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 we don't pray. We don't say, oh, yes, Lord, please bring persecution. Please, please, please bring affliction and hardship and suffering. We don't, we don't want that. We don't say, yes, please do it, Lord. But if it's our lot, if it's part of what he's called us to, to follow him, we certainly don't reject it. We don't run from it. We embrace it and we rejoice in it. I tell you this, the reports that are also coming out of India of how the church is being built in the midst of significant persecution, the reports are overwhelmingly encouraging. People are coming to Jesus from all caste systems, as Caleb said. If, you've, if you're watching in a different venue, Caleb prayed just a moment ago and prayed about how the, the people of the highest caste, the Brahmins, are coming to faith. The church is being built, and the word of God, the second reason he gave is that the word of God goes forth in power. That when we rejoice in our sufferings, the word of God is fully known. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how, of course, of course, God blesses us with things in this life, which is just amazing that he does that. He doesn't owe us that. He didn't owe us the cross. He didn't owe us salvation. If he brought us unto himself, gave us the cross, gave us the opportunity to be reunited to him through faith in Jesus and our sin was forgiven, but yet our entire life was, life was nothing but suffering, then we could rejoice every day of our lives to say, Jesus, thank you for the cross. 
If you never gave me anything else, thank you for the cross. Thank you that my eternal destination isn't hell. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for righteousness of Jesus. Thank you for the reward that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't care if you ever give me anything on this side of heaven. You're worth it, Jesus. We, that is the posture of the human heart that has been rescued by Christ. But God is so good in that he even gives us blessings on top of that. He gives us great relationships and material blessings and things like that. But here's what happens. Watch this. When God gives us wealth and prosperity and whatever else, we, yes, appropriately say, thank you, Jesus. You have been so good to me. And, that, and we should do that. And that is right and good. And he is lifted up and exalted. But the temptation is this. The temptation is when we have lots of stuff here and when we don't have suffering here, then we begin to trust and glory in the stuff and not him. We begin to glory and trust and treasure the things that he has given us rather than the gift himself, which is him. But when we rejoice in suffering, he is exalted all the more because when we have nothing and we still say Jesus is glorious, he's the treasure of the universe, then a watching world says they don't have anything to glory in but Jesus. He must be amazing. He must be amazing. As John Piper once famously said, I've never heard someone say, how great is God that he gave you a BMW. But if we say, you know what? And I'm not saying that we should all long for this. Please don't mishear me, but this is a message we have to embrace. God, if you took it all away, I would still say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you, oh God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Because you are the glorious treasure of my heart. And when Jesus is that to us, the church is built and the word of God is fully known. Second truth for believers is that we behold the mystery revealed. We behold the mystery revealed. What is that mystery? Two things, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The word mystery occurs 28 times in the New Testament. 21 of those occurrences are in Paul's letters. This is something that he emphasized time and time again. And it makes sense because he, is, he was called by Christ to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And what he wants these Gentiles to understand, these people who aren't Jewish, he wants them to understand that this mystery over the ages, this mystery over the centuries that is now revealed is that Christ can and does indwell, God indwells you. It's not just for the Israelites. It's not just for the Hebrew people. It's not just for the Jews. It's also for all peoples of all nations of all time. And it's Christ, the mystery is, it's not Christ in a temple. 
that you have to go now make sacrifice for in order to just be somewhere remotely close to his presence. It's that Jesus, the Son of God, the treasure of the universe, the glory of all glories himself is in you. He dwells within every believer, regardless of tribe or tongue or nation. If you believed upon Christ as a sacrifice for your sin, as the one and true living word of God, he dwells in you. The spirit of Christ is in you. It's both are astonishing realities. The fact that for them, for that day and time, this would have been a, a mind-numbing reality for Jewish listeners who have always assumed and misunderstood that God was only for them. To now have Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, say, no, 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 this is for Jew and Gentile alike, and it's not just some type of thing that out there we go to experience. It's the presence of the living God dwelling within you. You, individually and corporately, you are the temple of God. He dwells in you. Mind-blowing. And then he says that this Jesus who dwells within you, he is the hope of glory. You've read The Answer by Randy Pope, our founding pastor, the little book he wrote called The Answer. He, he walks through for us the way in which we were created for glory and then we lost it when, we, when sin came into the world and to our hearts and then how Jesus is the only one who restores that glory in us and leads us to that reality that the end of all things when Christ returns where we will experience once again in all of its fullness the glory that we were made for at the very beginning, but even more, so, even more so now through Christ. It is a present realized glory in part that we have Christ in us, we're experiencing his glory. It's a present reality in part now, but a future realized glory in full. The restoration of glory and the full realization of glory can only be found in Jesus. Listen to this from Romans 8, 11, where Paul wrote in in a different letter, he said, if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same Jesus who rose from the dead now lives in the believer. He will resurrect you just as he resurrected himself for all of eternity to share in his glory. We share in his sufferings, yes, but more so, more amazingly, we share in his glory. This Jesus, he is the hope of glory. So, third truth, we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ. We do it in two ways, straight from the text. We warn and teach with all wisdom. Warning and teaching with all wisdom. Secondly, we, we do it through toiling and struggling in this life, in the realities of this life, but with his power, not with our own. Listen to what he says in verses 28 and 29. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's key, by the way. We're warning and teaching, not of our own wisdom, but with all wisdom that comes from him that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To what end? Why are we warning and teaching? And what, what is it that we're chasing after? We want every single person 
to first believe upon the gospel, to receive Christ in them such that the, the hope of glory dwells within them and this mystery is revealed to be true in them. But it, we don't just leave them there. We don't just say, hey, great, you're in now. You've got Jesus. Now, you know, go live life. No, no, no. We want to continue to warn and teach and equip and pour into and, and take the word of God and press it deep into each other's hearts so that each of us, every single one of us, would be mature in Christ. Continually, day by day, I, the, the, the posture of the hands of our heart, if you will, are constantly, because we're becoming mature, letting go, letting go of the things of this earth so that we may have more of Christ in us. So it would be more like him, identifying with him. We warn and teach with all wisdom so that everyone would be mature in Christ, but we do it, we do it with toil and struggle. It's hard, it's hard work. It's not easy. So all the more important that we do it with his power. Whenever I am not preaching and doing the worship pastoring part of the service, I, get the opportunity to pronounce the, the benediction, the blessing over God's people. I've commonly used Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21, where it tells us, it reminds us that it's his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, both in his church and in Christ Jesus our Lord throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The work that he's called us to that will include hardship and toil and struggle, the work that he's called us to, he provides every ounce of power to do it. He empowers every single one of us, if you know Jesus, to do the work of the kingdom of God that he has called us to in the specific places of life that you're in. We toil, we struggle, but everywhere we go, for the follower of Christ, everywhere we go, every person that we encounter, every place that he leads us to, every circumstance in life, whether good or bad, whether happy or sad, whether uh, full of lament or jubilation, it doesn't matter. What do we do? We proclaim Christ. Why? Because we have found him to be the treasure that he is, the hope of glory. We pronounce his glory, his reign, his goodness to all who will hear. Lastly, we contend for one another in the faith. Why? Paul gives us two reasons right here in the text, beginning of chapter two, that our hearts may be encouraged and that we would be knit together in love. That our hearts would be encouraged and that we would be knit together in love. In the midst of suffering that the Christian life will bring, we have to, we must contend for the faith with one another. We have to, we need one another desperately. If we don't, our hearts will struggle to be encouraged. The more isolated we are in this endeavor to proclaim Christ, the hope of glory, to uh, marvel at the mystery revealed, to suffer, 
together, to rejoice in our sufferings together, the more that we do that in isolation, the more that we do that away from one another, the more we won't be encouraged. The more we'll flame out, the more that we'll burn out. We desperately need one another that our hearts may encourage. If we don't, we'll miss out on the tremendous blessing of being knit together as a family in love. We desperately need one another. Listen to this, in the scriptures, in the scriptures, our need for God is the only thing that supersedes our need for one another. And those aren't mutually exclusive things, by the way. Our need for God and our need for one another, they fit together perfectly like puzzle pieces. Let me say it this way. What I mean is this. If you resist, if you see someone resisting being knit together with the people of God, they are in essence resisting being knit together with God. Why? Because what's the mystery revealed? Where is Christ? He's in us. And we're works in progress and we're messy and we still hurt one another and we, we still sin and we still struggle, but Christ is in us if you believe in him. And which means that his, his design for the church is that we be knitted together, that we, that we are ones who are in love a family, encouraging one another, contending for the faith on behalf of one another, coming alongside one another, picking each other up by the collar when the sufferings of this, of this life have knocked us off our feet. And we don't have the strength to get back up, but a brother or a sister in Christ is strong enough in that moment to come alongside of us and say, I will not let you stay there because I love you. Be encouraged, brother. Look at the end goal. Look where we're headed. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You're suffering now. And yes, this is hard, but get up. Look where we're going. Look at the hope of glory. Stare at him in the face. His name is Jesus and he's worth it. We gotta have each other. This is why we do discipleship. This is why we do it in groups. Because discipleship is the process through which we are knit together as a family, pushing, urging, encouraging one another towards Jesus, even in the midst of the hardship and the toil and the struggle of this life. Podcast I love to listen to. Got far too many that are on my playlist. And so it's one of many that I listen to in the car. It's called Against All Odds. And it's, uh, it's a lot of these little mini series about these people who have just survived the most insane of, of situations and circumstances and realities. One of the ones I, re- uh, I recently listened to was about Teddy Roosevelt, our 26th president, early 1900s. Teddy Roosevelt, after he had served two terms, he had actually run for a third term because back then you could still do that and he didn't win, very shockingly, very surprisingly. And so he was in this stage of life in his early 50s where he's trying to figure out, what do I do now? What's my life gonna be about? If you know anything about Theodore Roosevelt, you know that he loved the outdoors. You know that he was a conservationist and a naturalist. He loved exploring and going on adventures. And he had gone on all kinds of safaris and so forth. And 
He gets this idea. He hears about this river, this unexplored river in the Amazon basin in Brazil. And he gets the idea, well, I need something. I need something that brings me life again. If I can't be president, I got to do something. And so he talks his son to going with him on this adventure to be the very first people outside of the indigenous people who live there in the Amazon basin to explore this river and to survey it and chart it for the maps. Because no one, no one knew, no one outside of the indigenous people had ever been down this river and knew where it led, what it connected to, if, it was navig- if you could navigate it or not. And, and so he gets this team of people together. They, they meet up with a, um, a world-renowned explorer there in Brazil. And together, he and about 20 other men begin to take this trek. Just to get to the river was a story in and of itself. But then once they get to the river, to begin to navigate down it, journaling along the way, making observations, surveying it. It ends up actually now being named in his name. It's the Roosevelt River. Back then, it was called the River of Doubt. They didn't know what it was about. They didn't know where it led. They didn't know anything about it. So the story, though, is that along the way, they lost men, and they almost lost Roosevelt himself. At one point, a canoe in the midst of the rapids, they discovered very quickly this river had lots and lots of deathly rapids. A canoe hits him right in the shin and splits his shin open. This is the early 1900s. They have a doctor with them, but they don't have any antibiotics. The the wound, within a matter of hours, gets infected. And on numerous occasions, Roosevelt almost dies. They actually make it to the end of the river. It was just an amazing story of how they survived and how he survived and incredible. But they get to where the river connects with a larger river and they were able to get out of there and eventually, miraculously, truly miraculously, Teddy Roosevelt and his son survive. But you get to the end of the podcast, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining it for you. You can go listen to it. There's a lot of great details. But you get to the end of the podcast, and it just kind of ends like this. It basically says this. Roosevelt never recovered. He probably, although we don't know for sure, always regretted going down that that incredible hardship of a river. Within five years, he died because his body really never recovered from it. He died at a young 60 years old. I think if Roosevelt were with us today, he would say, you know what, all that hardship, all that toil, all that suffering, just to go down a river so that I could be the one that says, I was the first one to go down it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says this. For these light and momentary afflictions, they don't feel that way right now. But when we get to glory, they're going to be, we're going to look back and we'll go, those were light and momentary. For these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Listen, we will not be like Roosevelt at the end of that river. 
When we, get in, when we get to the end of the river of life and we've gone through all the rapids and our shins have been busted open, so to speak, and our hearts are troubled and everything about this life has worn us down. But when we stand and we look into the face of the one who is glory, we will say it was worth it. It was worth it at every turn, every hardship, every toil, every suffering for the name of Jesus. It was worth it. So keep fighting, rejoice in suffering, marvel at the mystery revealed of Christ in you, proclaim him wherever you go and fight for one another in the faith. To the glory of God, may we do it. Jesus, would you, would you give us your strength, your power? You tell us that we toil and we struggle, but it's through your power within us. So would you give us that power to move forward in faith knowing that great is our reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for great is our reward in heaven. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.